the world is becoming more unglued by the day. Local consequences are now showing up. We are seeing sky-high gas prices, higher food prices, shortages, and more. How should you respond? Go to redpills.tv slash patriot. That's R-E-D-P-I-L-L-S dot TV slash patriot. And secure your long-term emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is by far the largest preparedness company in America. They're in stock and shipping quickly in unmarked boxes to your door. Their emergency food supplies last up to 25 years in storage. When you need it, it'll be there. Lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks totaling over 2,000 calories a day. Get free shipping on any order over $99. Again, go to redpills.tv slash Patreon. journey of conversations on the fringe all right good morning good evening good afternoon wherever you are in the world my name is josh and that is miriam my guest for tonight this is the red pill project's conversations on the fringe we're live with you every friday night well almost every friday night 7 30 p.m mountain standard time 8, 9 30 p.m eastern standard time this is where we talk about those things that uh, people don't usually talk about in normal conversation, those things that exist on the fringe within the mind, those things that expand that mind beyond that normal perspective. Uh, this is uh, where we have those great conversations of conscious expansion. And tonight, my guest, Miriam, I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, you are, we, we've done a few shows together on American Media Periscope. We've talked offline. Um, you had a fantastic documentary, which you're going to tell us all about, that you raised over a million dollars for to produce. Um, you've done massive investigative research into the George Floyd um, killing, the murder, a sacrificial murder, if you want to even look at it like that, that produced the riots uh, a few years ago. Um, and you're doing tons of other work. You're very, very well versed on MK Ultra, the Travistock Institute, uh, consciousness, conscious expansion. I mean, whatever it is, I mean, we can talk about it all. We're going to have a great conversation tonight. Uh, Miriam, I mean, let, let's just start this out. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your documentary? And kind of your wake-up call to bring you to this. Yes. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I definitely live on the fringes. 
And in regards to my documentary, I just take a step back and say that my spiritual awakening happened at age 13 and I've been peeling the onion ever since. So at 13, I had a, a friend from Sunday school that uh, got hit by an 18 wheeler mm. and uh, eventually died. And I was raised Christian and I started asking questions and I remember being in Sunday school and just asking, so if someone's a Muslim and they're a good person, what happens to them? And the answer was, uh, don't worry about them. God will take care of them. And it was like, wrong answer. So yep. I started asking questions and discovered my third eye, started trying to do out-of-body experiences to see my friends. And, and that really put me on a path of self-discovery, read Out on a Limb by Shirley MacLaine really early on, was listening to Art Bell. And fast forward to Los Angeles when I, I left Montreal, Canada, and I got a job. I was working for MSNBC. I was part of the mainstream. And I got hit by an SUV. I got hit by a a, a truck, kind of. And then went on another even further spiritual deep dive, um, had a near-death experience and left my job at NBC and was really kind of floating aimlessly, couldn't work for a year, had to literally learn how to walk again. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was really an initiation into health and wellness. And uh, then the bees flew into my life. I started having literally magical experiences with bees as I was starting to research colony collapse disorder and, and discovered that it's a it's a female society and it, it's about the sacred feminine, about giving back. And um, that was like five years of my life working all over the world, trying to figure out what the root cause of colony collapse disorder and really opened my eyes to the adulterated food supply to the way in which we treat honeybees as indentured slaves, the neonicotinoids, Bayer, crop science, uh, Monsatan, hmm. and uh, raised a million dollars. Had It was Ellen Page at the time, who's now Elliot Page, and um, was embraced, I, I guess, or, or accepted by the mainstream. And then after blowing the whistle on Bayer, and then launched HoneyColony.com, which is a magazine and marketplace that is proverbially foraging for the best sources of information regarding health and wellness. And then I, I just, I guess I was on a shit list more and more, um, started covering things like medical freedom that I won't get into today. And just was one of the first to feel censorship as early as 2017. So the bees are very important. And I was saying back then, the bees um, are ancient messengers, but will we listen? And today, 10 years plus later, I say that we are the bees slowly being, um, slowly dying by sublethal doses of uh, poisons that now includes genetically modified information. Yeah, And uh, just, have been delving into big pharma and covering those beats. And then, of course, the the Rona regime, I was covering 12 hours a day, every day, blow by blow. So I can leave it at that. I don't know if you want to 
get more specific about the honeybees, but they're very important and they are still dying. And I, I think there's still a lot of education. Uh, one of our tagline slogans was be the change, B-E-E, that you want to see in the world. And I still think that is very much it. And, and it's like, I tell people, you know, you can wear a cross around your neck, but you might as well be wearing a face diaper. Are you walking your talk? Are you looking at your shadow? Are you just looking, taking responsibility and trying to transcend a victim mentality? It's not what happens to you, but what you do with what happens to you. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember hearing a, a lot about the bees back in the day. And everybody back then was saying, you know, in, in a decade or two decades, we're going to have complete system-wide global collapse of the food supply. Um, I, I believe during that time, a lot of people stepped in and intervened and, and tried to help to save the bees. And I think that we've made progress. But can you tell us a little bit about how um, the, the colonies were actually collapsing? What was happening to cause this to be produced? Well, it's really, it's a death by a thousand cuts and people can say it's uh, Wi-Fi or Monsanto seed, but really at the root cause is just like humans dismantling their immune system. And you could look at a grain of pollen and find up to 16 different fungicides, herbicides and pesticides and they synergize. So two, two different um Poisons can be a thousand times more um, toxic. And the same thing goes again with, with humans that they accumulate in the body. And so people think that doing a cleanse is like drinking juice or doing a master cleanse, but it, it's really honoring your temple and keeping it clean. And it's really sad today that we're constantly, constantly more so dodging a poison. So what was happening in the hive was the beekeeper would open up the lid and in a very short amount of time, the queen would be abandoned with some brood and the bees would disappear. And, and you could get a satiric and say they went to the fifth dimension or for organic beekeepers, the, they never witnessed a problem. Of course, you can't control your bees and they can fly up to five different miles and they're called flying dust mops. <laughs> so... It's it's really these nico, nicotine and neonics. There's there's a whole family of them. So the old fangled poisons were organophosphates. So you would spray them and you'd see the the death or the kill right away. Whereas with neonics, it takes it's part it becomes part of the plant. So then the bees forage and go back to the hive, and it doesn't impact necessarily the immediate generation. The bees, the queen is is laying about 25,000 uh, eggs a day, and then it would impact the future generations. Wow. And so it's insidious this way, and that is what a death by a thousand cuts, and you could argue it's happening to humans as well, that they're not able to pinpoint what exactly has taken them down, but at the root is this attack on the immune system. You know, it's a great metaphor that you're using there. And it's um, sometimes we don't think about that when we're in the midst of this battle that's raging on. And I know there's certain words that we can't say. We can talk about the Fauci ouchie. We can talk about the jab jab. But, um, you know, utilizing mRNA technology, CRISPR technology to um, 
produce certain variations in the genetic sequence. Um, this typically would happen immediately within that individual, but if that person reproduces, then the next generation is going to be affected as well. And we could potentially even see immunosuppression within the next generation of human beings, you know, two decades from now before we even see that impact. Um, and, And that's a great metaphor to look at because, you know, there's... Human beings have kind of uh, taken on the role of the caretakers over the planet. And instead, they just piss and shit all over it. Uh, Where the bees become these victims when they are the real caretakers of this planet. And they become the victim, falling victim to this uh, this atrocious behavior by human beings. It's sad. Yes, they leave the world a sweeter place. They pollinate everything from avos to zucchinis. And still today, people don't know their importance. I like, for instance, if you if you walk by, let's say, rosemary and you'll notice one bee. And if you get silent and quiet, then all of a sudden it's like magic. You realize that there's, you know, two dozen of them and they're buzzing around doing doing their business. And it's sad today that the bees are doing better in urban environments than in some countrysides and this was happening we visited france and germany and it was happening in italy and later i was living in greece and covered colony collapse or ccd there and it was really a worldwide problem however in america i believe it's the only country which is trucking bees from state to state and every, you know, just constantly going from whether it's the almonds, the the cranberries, the blueberries, and in nature, Michael Pollan is in the film and says God doesn't put all uh, his or her eggs in a basket, um, and that's the way it should be. I studied permaculture. I was a beekeeper, and the message I've been getting for a really long time, as early as 2013, was to really leave the United States and or at at the very least, be in a place where you can have clean, clean land and clean water and just lead a simpler, simpler life, which is definitely I was leading a simpler life when I escaped to Costa Rica at the beginning of the Rona regime. And I fantasize about going back almost every day. Well, you know, it's. Um... I've been to Costa Rica, I've been to Panama, I've been to Guatemala, El Salvador, I've been to Mazalan, Manzanillo, all up the Central American Western Coast Board, as well as all over South America, Eastern Asia. Um, and, and you're right, there's some places that you visit that have this just this energy to them, this vibe to them. And they're just way more peaceful and they're way more natural. And, that, and that's, I think that's the best way to explain it, is it's such a natural vibe. In that you feel more connected with nature. You feel more connected with even people around you because it's almost as if everybody is tuning into the same frequency within that area. I've uh, traveled. I used to be a digital nomad and um, I I really gravitated to Costa Rica and, and have a community there. I think for me, we had, I had fiber optic internet but there's more jungle than there's there's man and the jungle doesn't accept everyone so i would really be i was humbled that i was accepted and also not everybody can handle the insectoids i was 
I had just a generator for my computer. And in the rainy season, every single day, the power would go out. And it was just like this grand woman just typing. And I have insects, like, because I keep the doors open. Like where I am now in Florida, my roommates, everything is closed. They, they're they not into the insects or the humidity. I, I'm definitely like an earth hippie yeah. chick in, in that regard. And so I, I just it's humbling and the power for me that's god is is nature i had boars in my backyard and and these big they're like big um hedgehog hedgehogs or hamsters they're anyway just every day you could see nature and i am admitted food nazi i cannot handle all the toxicity ironically after making vanishing of the bees and after being hit by a car and having to learn how to walk again, I went to to the Dominican Republic for an environmental film festival. And it was my partner and I at the time were there before the festival at a in a condo. And I thought they were using a leaf blower, but they were fumigating. So I went to tell them to to shut it off. And the guy turned around and I had a whole waft of poisons. The irony after making a film all about the poisons couldn't write it any better i went back to i was living in venice california at the time and i couldn't i'm even after my accident and learning how to walk again i'm active and i couldn't even go up a flight of stairs i thought it was my thyroid then i realized it's chemical body burden mm. which when i told my endocrinologist was like a blank slate by that time i had already been self-studying nutrition on my own. And it, as I said, it was really an initiation. I stopped eating gluten and sugar and dairy in 20, 2005, 2006, way, way before it became vogue. And, and it completely, I completely changed my, my, my body. And then I discovered keto, then I discovered biohacking, then I studied at the Institute of Functional Medicine so that I can have paperwork to, to credentials to say that I'm worthy to speak about certain things but at this point it's like i'm walking my talk I, I hang out with doctors and i eat i see the cheesecakes and the shit that they eat and it's like okay that's fine but i'm really trying to walk my talk and and um i'm about optimizing our biology not eradicating our god-given immune system mm. and 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 many 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 people either don't give a crap about their body and, you know, I, I, I feel like it helps house your consciousness. And if you're working to raise your consciousness in whatever way, if it's plant medicine or or meditation or whatever self-inquiry, that it is heightened by not eating poisons. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was um, I, I think I just saw an article today. I think it was uh, one of those uh, aggregators who was talking about. People who you who eat junk food um, are taking off four years of their life um, every decade just by doing so. And, you know, we have to understand that there's there's a certain connectedness that human beings have between each other. And there's a certain connectedness that we have with our planet. There's a certain connectedness that we have with the solar system and the, with the universe and that our purpose here was never meant 
to isolate ourselves from those connections, from those relationships, but instead to optimize them, just like you said. You know, I've uh, studied the occult and the esoteric mysteries for a very long time, well over two decades. And one thing that I did is I went back to school because I started learning really what the inner meaning of a lot of these secrets were. And you start uncovering science. And I had to go back and learn physics so I could explain what Mm. I was talking about. And I actually Mm. developed something called optimization theory, which is exactly what you're saying is that we're here to optimize our consciousness. We're here to optimize our lives, our quality of lives, our state of life, our state of mind, our expansion of thought. I actually, I redefined evolution. I redefined evolution. And I don't believe in Darwinian evolution. But instead, what I say evolution is, is learning something that you did not know that you did not know. And if you look at evolution throughout the history of our species, in the sense of technological progression, it came about from human beings learning something that they did not know that they did not know. It came about through these discoveries. I was talking about it on a chat a while back that I have a goal every day. And this goal that I have is to go out there and have those thoughts that come into my mind that no other conscious being in the universe has ever thought. Think about it. Those unique thoughts, because that's what the universe thrives on. The universe doesn't thrive on these continuous thoughts that people have every day that make up their existence. Instead, the universe evolves through the creativity, the innovation of the mind, and those expansive thoughts that come about that the universe has never even heard of, never even contemplated before. And that allows it to bring it into manifestation. So for me, it's I want to have those thoughts and those ideas that go through my head that maybe one or two or three or four beings in all of existence have ever thought. That's like evolution to me. Do you meditate? What do you do? Do you take it during a shower? When when do those thoughts come to you? And do you think do you think also Elizabeth Gilbert who who wrote Eat, Pray, Love? She wrote another book, which I'm referencing. I don't know the name of, but it talks about the collective. And so she uses an example that she had a story idea, but she sat on it and certain circumstances, it just wasn't meant to be. And then she was having lunch with a uh, well-known writer and she just basically shared the idea that she had and there was this notion that if you, you know, ideas come, they're in the collective, but if you don't grab them, then they'll go to the next person and there's this collective. So do you think you're being still and you're getting thoughts that no no one else or that no one else has, has moved, taken initiative of, if that makes sense? So what you just said there about Elizabeth Gilbert, I agree yeah. with. And so this is, I call this the banister effect. And so Roger Bannister in the 1950s was the first human being to break the four-minute mile in the Olympics. Before this time, doctors and philosophers had said that anybody that tried to break a four-minute mile, their heart would burst. This was medical in medical uh, literature, that you can't break a four-minute mile. It's impossible. Then Roger Bannister did it in the Olympics. After Roger Roger Bannister did it, all of a sudden, 20,000 people in the next decade did it. We've had, we have teenagers now breaking the four-minute mile. Why? Because that, that experience that he had now goes out there and it spreads throughout the mass, it spreads throughout the collective, and it gives people the understanding that it's possible. And yeah. once they know it's possible, now they can obtain that level of achievement. And the universe works the same way. All it takes, though, is for that initiation, for that first, that first person to go out there and do it. And so I believe that, that that first idea or whatever it might be 
is separate from the collective. It's added into the collective. And once the collective sees it, now it's allowed to expand and people are allowed to grab it, take it, and utilize it. That totally <clears throat> makes sense. It makes me think, one, I, I didn't finish when, when I came back and from Dominican Republic and I said, is it chemical body burden? They diagnosed me with lupus. And they're like, your body's attacking itself. Here's some prednisone, here's some Celexa, and there's no cure. And I thought to myself, wow, if my own body is attacking, if I can't trust my own body, then who the fuck can I trust? Right. Sorry, is it okay to swear? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we um, encourage it was it. That when, when I heard that, it was like, oh, yeah, bitch, you watch. And it took six years, and I, I cured myself of lupus, of supposed lupus. But the point was that, you know, say you can't do it, just like, it was told you can't do this for minutes and uh, someone dared banister dared to prove them wrong so it, it's it's and now we're living in an environment that's just fear 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 impossible you can't um of course there's this whole woke side which, mm -hmm. which is not not realistic but the the atmosphere is one of of fear and also there's a lot of interference whether you know people will make fun of of saying that ultra high frequencies or other substances can calcify your pineal um your pineal gland i just think that we are amazing species and I've now witnessed that when I tell people like, oh, I was hit by an SUV and dragged 35 feet and had to literally learn how to walk again, was outfitted with a metal rod that I removed. I've had a near-death experience. I've um, reversed lupus. And I then I'm 49. Do I look 49? No. What am I doing wrong? What am I doing right that others, because my friends back in Montreal they do not look as youthful as I. And, and I think it's one, my spirit, but it's also, again, honoring my temple and not allowing the nose or the the limits. You learn in Landmark, not that I'm advocating to drink the Kool-Aid, but I did garner a lot from Landmark of turning complaints, for instance, into infinite possibilities. Mm. And again, it goes back to it's not what happens to you, but what you do. And in these these um, apocalyptical times, I, as an empath and someone who's a journalist who's constantly digesting and transmutating all this negative shit, I have to remind myself constantly, one, to project my light because I know I have a lot of light and, and also how, you know, I'm trying to incorporate how good can it can I can it be? And, and it's hard because I feel really deep and I think that I feel I feel other people's feelings that and I am transmutating. It's like the sadhus sit on the tombstones and eat corpses. I feel like I'm eating all this energetic shit and having to digest it, synthesize it and present it and also connect the dots and see things that other people clearly, for whatever reason, are not able to see. So anyway, all of that to say anything is possible it's amazing that you want to master it's self-mastery right mm -hmm. josh it's it's self-mastery and i really want to espouse that i want to what is missing in this conversation that we're seeing in the world is wisdom and kindness and not this righteous woke um just v vapid pretend virtuous shit but real kindness and, real humanity and we're all, 
real humanity yeah and we're all human and we all are here i believe in like if there's a conflict that comes up it's really an opportunity what is what am i doing to participate in this why is this happening to me because i'm the common denominator and how can i bridge this i, I you know just i've studied nonviolent communication it just goes back to know thyself which was what i heard when i had my near death experience of i think it nothisetum is in in latin and then Ipsum i remember going Sorry? Ipsum te notius. Say it again? Ipsum te notius or temet notius. So is that know thyself? That is know thyself in Latin that was hung over the, the temple of the oracle at Delphi of Apollo. Um, and it is one of the main quotes by Socrates in the sense of finding yourself is to know yourself. I actually do a whole um, perspective on this, which is pretty, I think it's pretty enlightening. because. It is? Let, let me help, let me let me share this with you because I think you'll yeah. enjoy this. Yes. And everybody probably knows what I'm going to say here, but this is something that I've discovered through my spiritual journey in this sense. And this came to me through various different teachers I've had in my life. And it came about when trying to know thyself. Hmm. And this was explained to me. I, I can't even explain how it was explained to me, but I can explain it to you. I cannot know you. I cannot be inside your mind. I cannot know your thoughts, your feelings, or your emotions. But instead, I can interact with you. And when I interact with you, those things are transferred to me and begin reacting within myself. Reacting to certain levels of development emotionally, physically, spiritually within myself. If I am developed highly emotionally, highly physically, and highly spiritually, then there's going to be a strong interaction with another person who's developed at that same length, which means that I can only know you as well as I know myself. I cannot know you intimately and deeply within your own mind, but instead intimately and deeply within my own mind. And now this is the beauty of it. When you go to seek God, mm-hmm. right? Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is within. And this is about knowing yourself. Which means that I have to develop a relationship with myself. I have to understand that that reflection of that relationship is various aspects of my own development within myself. And so when I seek God, it's the same level of relationship. I can only know God as well as I know myself. I can only know nature as well as I know myself. If I don't know myself, then I can have no relationship with God or with nature or with other people. True that. Very well said. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly and uh you know it's it's to be aligned with the mind and the the spirit the heart in the resonance of the heart is like more than three feet it outweighs the resonance of the brain which is why i think they're attacking our hearts and humanity and normalizing the shit that's going on but very very much so when you said delphi delphi i was in greece and i didn't know that it was um that that saying in mm-hmm. uh, Adelphi but I I went there and also that's where the bee goddesses were and when I saw it and and Delphi was also the frequency the energy there it's like I've never felt such a serene is the word that comes to me a serenity mm-hmm. that was palpable just beautiful beautiful place so yeah, I, I I agree, and I really wish that to humanity. I'm at the point where I think that we may be living in a simulation, and this is the real test, the mark of the beast, 
what do you want to call it? The Fauci, Ouchy, whatever, uh, I'll pass. And uh, I, I really think, yeah, I don't know if you've thought about whether we're in a simulation. This is a this is a, a test. I don't even know. Like, I'm even questioning whether people are NPCs because there is a vacancy there regarding the the spirit and the soul. And it's like uh-huh. to me, I don't give a crap what color you are. You could be purple. I don't care. I just care if you're a good person. And I I really gravitate to people that carry wisdom wisdom keepers because i i find it far and few between on top of the fact that they're taking books away or they're you know the ministry of truth is vaporizing knowledge so do you know who a gentleman by the name of philip k dick is yeah He, he passed away many years ago um he was a sci-fi writer for those out there that don't know he wrote a man man in the high castle In 1978, Philip K. Dick took part in a symposium with some of the world's top minds and scientists in the world about the nature of reality. And it's interesting that they brought in this sci-fi writer to talk about that. They had Isaac Asimov and a few others there as well. And um, the hour conversation that he had was incredibly enlightening because it explains a lot of things. Now, you mentioned simulation theory. Um, simulation theory is something that I went through when I was at CU Boulder um, and I was studying physics. And we actually had to watch one of these modern day symposiums on simulation theory. And I found it completely ignorant to the fact that the scientists were standing up there comparing our universe to a human made computer system, which if you think about it, a computer system is made of various different elementals and molecules put together that come together. They use electrical signaling and processing and resistance and non-resistance and amplification to basically produce signal generation. That signal generation is harnessed to produce various different functions within a computer system that produces, you know, a construct or a simulation. But at the end of the day, this is based upon the system of nature. This is based upon the movement of atoms, quantum physics is based upon electricity. All the fundamental laws of nature are inherent within that simulation. So we shouldn't be comparing, right? Mm. We shouldn't be comparing the universe to a simulation, but yet the simulation as a rudimentary and elementary universe. Okay. Okay. Right. So when we start to think about it in that perspective, it starts to mold and transform our idea of a computer system that the digital world is simply a very, very elementary and rudimentary universe that we are developing and mm-hmm. that it mimics that of the primary universe, which could be a possible simulation. Now, Elon Musk has come out and said there's a very, very good chance that we live in a simulation. Now, Philip K. Dick in 1976 at the symposium, he starts to go on to talk about simulation theory, right? And he starts to talk about how our reality doesn't necessarily seem to be what it is perceived to be. And he starts mm-hmm. giving these examples of a um, of a kitchen, of a rich person's kitchen, and how they have a painting over the wall, and they have a bouquet of flowers on the table, and that there's food that is served every evening. And every day that he goes into the kitchen, the painting stays the same, but the flowers get changed out, and the food's always changed out. And he looked at it in the sense of computing processing, that if we mm-hmm. lived in a simulation, that's just way too much energy input for the simulation to change those things out day in and day out, day in, day out. He said, instead, what you would see is you would see, if this was a computer simulation, you would see minor fluctuations within the painting 
within the walls, within the, the tablecloth. You would see certain things begin to change within your environment, but just barely noticeable. But over long periods of time, you'd notice these progressive changes. He then goes on to say this. Yeah. And he says, I wrote Man in the High Castle about this man who wakes up one day and Nazi controlled the United States of America where the Nazis won the war and were progressing towards the West. He goes, this was a true life story, a biography of what actually happened to me. He goes, one day I woke up, I was in this world, I was meant to save that world, I came back and I wrote about it. He goes, I lived in this parallel dimension. I came back. I'm not crazy. This is really what happened. He goes, we live in the simulatory universe, and I'm going to explain to you how it actually happens. And he goes, we got a whole group of people out there who've seen this, experienced this, and know this. Have you seen the uh, the Netflix show OA? Oh, oh you, yeah, a long time. It's a right? long one. Yeah, yeah. So OA, where she would like to be able to time dump before, between the multi-dimensions. And so basically what Philip K. Dick comes out and says is that we're, we're kind of like in this, this parallel time system where all okay. time exists parallel to itself, except that its, it's uh, change is frequency. So everything vibrates at a different frequency on the timeline. So this linear perspective or endurance of time that we actually have is this transition through variations of increasing frequency. And that we can shift just so slightly between those various di- multi-dimensional time frames. Based and he, on our frequency? Based on your mental frequency. Now, I came up with a theory many years ago before I even heard Philip K. Dick talk about this, that okay. the Mandela effect, yeah, something that we've all heard. Ask. Yeah, that the Mandela effect is actually nothing to do with CERN or anything like that, but simply the law of conservation and of energy in the universe attributing to the creator nature of who we are. So as we create our own reality, <clears throat> we project our reality tunnel out there, talking about Terrence McKenna, we project our reality tunnel out there and the yeah. universe begins to conform towards our reality tunnel when our, our, our emotions and our intentions are aligned towards it. Well, if we exist in a timeline or a universe that is not conducive with that vibrational thought that we're trying to manifest, the universe has to bring about the path of least resistance to bring that. So sometimes that's going to be a millimeter to the right on a dimensional time scale, and we'll right. shift to the right and all of a sudden start vibrating this other time frame where the, the law of conservation of energy, the energy is lowered to bring about that type of reality. And Are so, you oscillating between until yeah. you cement? So you're continuously changing between these different realities. And so I came out with this theory because <clears throat> it, it, it only makes sense in the sense of the dynamic of the universe and how the universe unfolds that it would be something like this. Now, what's interesting is that as we shift between this multidimensionality, right, is how would we tell stories of this? How would we, would we recognize it, right? Well, in the modern day, we have something known as the Mandela Effect, which came around around circa 2010. But you have to look at the history of the Mandela Effect and how it really came about. People started noticing it in the late 1990s when Nelson Mandela was released from prison, ended apartheid, became president. Many people, millions of them, remember him dying in prison. I remember him dying in prison. Right. So this is where the Mandela effect was created. But also 1998, the time this came about was when computers and internet started coming around really, really big, where people were communicating through digital. That's right. 
Then we had 2010 where it be, really became big and that was the advent of social media when social media became popularized. It all mm -hmm. started coming about in the social conformity in the sense when social communication and digital communication increased in abundance. So here's the thing is if it's 1980 and we're having, hey, the cornucopia on Fruit of the Loom, it, it's gone. What the heck happened, right? And you go to your buddy and you're like, dude, didn't Fruit of the Loom used to have a cornucopia? And they're like, nah, dude, don't remember that. And you're like, ah, maybe I just made it up. But there's no way to check. There was no internet back then to go look up a picture, to go look up maybe, hey, does anybody else realize that cornucopia is gone? Nobody had this and through, throughout history. How do you yeah. document those things that you believe are just maybe misthought, right? And so Philip K. Dick came out and said this in 1976. He said, he goes, people in this world are going to begin seeing their reality and perception shift. Small things within their reality that they don't notice are going to begin to change. And when this begins to happen, you'll know that you are in this simulation that we're talking about. And these things that will begin to change are like a color of a wallpaper will change from red to blue one day. And you'll be like, what happened? He goes, things that are in society that are looked at upon every day will shift just a little bit and maybe the color will change or the design will change. He was talking about a Mandela effect in 1978. Wow. And so do we live in a simulation? I do believe we live in a universally created reality that is dependent upon the rules and understandings that we know of in modern day science as a simulation. But it, I do believe that it's a naturally created simulation. Do you think though, at this juncture, the way I was explaining it the other day is like, so let's say there's like a helix or whatever this, the DNA that some of us are, well, it's a fork and so we're able to see clearly there's another portion of society that's living in a complete different reality now. And but some of us can still see that other side. And maybe it's like in the movie, like divergence, like I, I also think that maybe some people are not well, they're not embodied, but I don't know if they have a soul or or they're just running programs like I I. Uh, my dad worked for Pfizer. He worked for Procter and Gamble mm -hmm. for Johnson and Johnson as a mechanical engineer. And so I don't talk to him about the. Someone called it the Crenshaw, so I'm gonna call it the Crenshaw. I don't know why, they they did that. So he had a friend pass away, and I said, "Are you gonna go to the funeral?" And and he's like, "No, I I don't want to be around 500 people and get the Rona," and so I just was like biting my tongue and I'm like but didn't you get the Crenshaw and uh, he said everybody knows that the Crenshaw doesn't help stop transmission but only keeps you out of the hospital with serious he basically mm. regurgitated like straight up right yes and anyway it devolved my dad hung up on me and uh, I you know the the whole campaign birds don't exist I'm like yeah. my the birds aren't real. I, I just hung up. I'm like, my dad's not real. Like hmm. these people that you have to stay on certain programs, but if you go divert and, and try to God forbid, have a intellectual conversation, they'll just glitch out, you know, just like kind of in Westworld they're they're on tracks. So I am noticing that just people, you could call it programming, but something is missing in their depth. You ready for it? I'm ready for it. So I developed something known as spaceship theory. 
I love all these theories, Josh. So it, it's called spaceship theory. And it's it, it, so I try to rationalize reality. That's one thing that I'm just I've been doing my whole life is uh, you asked if I meditate and stuff like that. I go in the deep trans like meditations and I come out with these incredibly deep thoughts. Like, like I said, I try to create and develop these thoughts right. of which nobody has ever thought of. Right. right. And yeah. I developed spaceship theory decades ago. And spaceship theory happened because I was tra- I was in the military and then I went to United Airlines and I'm traveling around the country, traveling around the world, right? You were working um, for the airline? Yeah, I worked for the airline for seven years. Okay. Oh, wow. And I traveled all over the United States, um, military travel all around the country. And I met thousands upon thousands of people everywhere I went. And I noticed that there were certain people that you met that were just like, it was more human, Right. That some people you met was like NPCs. It's just like, this person has got some issues, right? Like, there's no social development. There's no, there's no aspect of a spirit. There's like, there's no connection. There's no energetic connection. And then you get these other people and it's like finding a long lost friend. It's like, it's like discovering this family member that you've lost. And you're like, oh my God, like we got to stay in touch, right? And so I developed spaceship theory. And the idea was that, um, there was this civilization whose planet had been destroyed and there was only about 10,000 people left in existence. And they climbed aboard a spaceship and they went into, um, they went into stasis and hooked their minds up into a computer-generated simulation and headed for the stars to go find a new planet. Mm. And they put themselves into this AI-generated simulation. And the simulation was supposed to mimic their home world, perfect utopia, Right. But the first simulations begin to fail. Everybody started fighting amongst each other and eventually crumbled the first civilization. Other civilizations began to rise out. And these were eventually overtaken by feudalism, monarchies, and and crime and corruption. And eventually, the 10,000 people in the population ended up perishing and the simulation would have to restart itself. Till eventually you get to the last simulation where the AI figures out that it has to recreate basically the societal norms of where they came from, but as well as fill in the blanks in between the people. So having a smaller population of 10,000 in compared to 10 million. So you had to separate all the people out in the simulation. So the AI goes out there and begins generating billions of new players within this AI simulation. And so there's 10,000 real people in this simulation all walking around with billions of fake people, of NPCs. And what's happening is we keep on running into each other and going like, dude, I know you. Oh my God, who are you? And we're actually in this simulation on a spaceship flying through space to a new planet. I like it. I I can definitely resonate with with the... It doesn't happen very often, but when you encounter spirits, we're like, I know you, I, I, I know you. Uh, I had that, I, I uh, hosted, narrated, well, hosted a doc- documentary on the Ark of the Covenant. Mm. And I was living in LA and I was on Craigslist. This was Craigslist was, was new. I was at a cafe called the Bourgeois Pig, which I think is defunct, gone now. And, uh, I saw an ad and they were looking for a host and they were going to go to Egypt and I'm half Egyptian, half Greek. And I basically looked at the ad. I'm like, oh, my God, they're looking for me. And so I applied. I I went home and they had already taken the ad down because they got flooded. They had like 250 applicants. And I went and I and I auditioned and, and I was uh, 
I, I had my menstrual cycle that week and I was still hadn't changed my diet. So it was an issue. Anyway, I didn't perform properly. And but I wasn't I wasn't auditioning for the director. The director is uh, was in the UK and he's he's done Bloodline. He's bought Dan Brown's um, the rights to Dan Brown's book. He's purchased Michael Cremo's Forbidden Archaeology. Mm -hmm. He's worked for the BBC. And uh, I told him, you know, if you really want to get a, a good performance from me, I'm going to be working with you. And next thing you know, he's flying me to the UK. And I got there and we were up till three in the morning and it was like, wow, just we just connected and we were up all night talking. And it was exactly that. It was like, oh, I know you. I, I where have you been? And then I went on to pick up an entity in the tombs of of the pyramids. Uh, but that's another story. But that's, yeah, what, those, that's what this those... bracelet's all about. I'm sorry. What's that's what this bracelet? bracelet, this bracelet right about... here. So. This bracelet came from Tibet. Okay. And uh, I told every, my audience knows this story, but it's a great story. And Ken's probably watching. So um, there was a time when I was going to get my master Reiki certification. Um, and I walked into the basement of the place we were going to. And there's kind of like this door to the left. And I walk in through this door and it's like walking into a spider web of energy. It was just, it was weird. It's like things just got entangled and you felt chills everywhere. And there's one guy sitting in the room and he's sitting in a chair and he kind of looks up right when it happens. He goes, did you feel that? I'm like, yeah, what was that? He goes, I don't know, but sit down next to me. We need to talk. <laughs> and so we started talking. He's telling me his, his whole life story. His brother just passed away. He sold his businesses, trying to get rid of his house. I was studying um, corporate, commercial, and contract law at the time. I was telling him I can help you get rid of your house. He was going to go on a, um, a trip around the world to various holy sites because his brother was a world-renowned botanist and herbologist. The guy uh, never, since the age of 18, never had a driver's license, never had a bank account, um, never had a home, but got, you know, ma dual master's degree, studied with the Dogon Nation in Africa, studied with the shamans in South America, studied with the, the monks in Tibet and India. I mean, this guy was just phenomenal. His name is Frank Cook. But uh, so me and Ken are talking and we kind of just hit it off and he's like, you know, we kind of like stayed in touch and he goes on his trip for six months. I kind of help. I talk to the mortgage company and kind of help him get out of this whole thing. They let him stay in the house for a year and a half. Um, he comes back and he's like, I got to talk to you. You need to come out here. And he's like 80 miles away. Yeah. And I was in the military at the time and I'm like, okay. And like, you know, I started thinking about it. So I go into this meditation. I'm like, where do I know him from? Where do I know? Him? Cause there's just this connection. Right. And in this meditation, um, I, I open my eyes in this meditation and I'm in full Roman battle armor and we're standing behind. There's like this, um, there's like this roof of an old, old wood house kind of halfway out of the ground. And there's like kind of like another log right beside it. And it's like kind of a grass and sandy area. And we're standing behind the wood roof thing that's sitting out of the ground. We're on knees and we're holding hands and we're saying a prayer. If we shall die in this life, shall we meet each other in the next? And we're both Roman soldiers. He was a, a general and I was his under general. So second in command. And we said, said this prayer. If we shall meet each other, if she will die in this life, shall we meet each other in the next? So I came out of it and I'm kind of like crying, like, man, this is crazy, right? He was really like spiritual and deep and right. it was very vivid. The right. next day I drive the 80 miles and I go to visit him. Mm -hmm. And he's at this tea house in Frederick, Maryland. Mm 
And I walk in the tea house, and if you can imagine it, you walk through the front door, it's nice and like earthy setting, very, very dark inside, but very beautiful dark. You got the sound of flowing water, nice, beautiful sounds everywhere. And there's tables on each side, right and left. But he just happened to be at the middle table at the end of the hall. And so like you walk in and you're just looking right at this, this, you know, six foot three, blonde haired, blue eyed German guy looking at you with a big old grin on his face. He's got a box in front of him. I go up there, give him a hug, and he starts telling me about his trip and all this stuff. And I'm sitting here, how do I tell this guy about this yeah, meditation yeah. that I had, right? Like, how do, you, how do you say that to somebody? And you still, you, this is the first time you're sitting with him. You don't know him, right? Well, we, we've hung out before this. Okay. We've gotten okay. together before this, but we never really talked about how we knew okay. each other. Okay. Um, and he's like, you know, I, I went here, I went to India, he showed me pictures, and he goes, you know, then I went to Tibet, or I went to Thailand, and I went to the Sleeping Buddha Temple. And he goes, I'm at the Sleeping Buddha Temple, and the, the head monk there called me in the back. And I didn't know him, but apparently he knew his brother. And the head monk goes and shows him these two bracelets. And opens up a little wood box, shows him these two bracelets, and goes, you've met someone recently that you're connected with through lives and through time. He goes, I bless these, and this one is for you, and this one's for him. And I'm sitting there going like, oh, man, this is crazy. Who is it, Ken? Who is it, right? And he opens up the box, and he's like, here you go, brother. And I'm like wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on a second. And he's like, yeah, man, I like, this is crazy. I'm like, well, Ken, I got to ask you, where do we know each other from? And he goes, you know, man, I'll tell you, I've had this deep feeling inside that we were both Roman soldiers in a past life and we made a promise to each other. If we died in that life, shall we see each other in the next? And I just started, ah, right? But that's what this is. That's what this represents to me. That's beautiful. I know, isn't that, it's like one of the most remarkable things that's ever happened in my life that reminds me that we are here for a reason, for a purpose, that there is so much more that we don't know and that we are here not to figure it out, not to learn something new like I've talked about before, but instead to remember. remember. That's it. To remember. I have tears in my eyes. I want to share with the audience that I, I texted Josh to confirm for today and I got like an immediate response and I was like, that's fast. And if you hadn't said anything, we both texted each other at, at the, the same time, same time yep. which is amazing. And we've not ever talked about spirituality. So I, you know, I, I didn't, I, I didn't know what was going to come out. I, I don't know that you knew about, um, that I'm a spiritual being, but I have to say, Josh, that I did, uh, I guess it was the first year of the Ronin regime and uh, someone gifted me doing, I didn't know that it was a, a soul retrieval mm -hmm. and uh, that we were going to do past live. And, and as open as I am, and, and I know I'm an old soul that's come back many times. I, I know I carry wisdom, but um, I didn't, you know, I'm always kind of skeptical. And she's like, what do you see? Like we started and I, I was like, I wanted to say, I don't see shit, bitch. Like I don't see anything, but I'm joking. So then we progress, we progress and I saw certain things. And then when we got to this life, I see words and I see numbers. Um, ever since my, my near death experience, like I woke up with super nasal powers and then just this heightened my whole constitution changed. I would walk by lights and they street lights and they would go go off. Not as much, but it still happens. And I just saw the word hijack. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And I have to say, like, I don't know if I need to do like another ayahuasca ceremony, which has been calling me. The last time I did aya, which I don't know if you've done, is it okay to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. I've never done ayahuasca. I've done psilocybin and I've done loads of LSD. More LSD (laughs) to probably kill quite a few elephants. I I haven't um I I haven't done I did it once and I had a bad experience in Costa Costa Rica but the last time I did ayahuasca was ironically in Corona California and uh, but I saw I saw the point is I saw hijack and that I feel that I feel like this plant this life has been hijacked I don't know what to do with it I I totally understand what you focus on you find as a spiritual being. I know that I choose to cover the news to I'm like, I feel like I'm that movie everywhere, everything all the time. I feel like I'm having an existential something with time. I know that time is a construct. And if you do plant medicine, time and space um, pretty much disappears. But I, I will wake up and I'll be like, oh, it's 3.36. And I'm I'm right. I see numbers. Like today, I'm like, how old are you? 34? And he was just t- turning 34. I just see the number. If I'm mental about it, it doesn't work. And I was still in San Francisco and I was just like quiet. I'm like, what the hell is this thing with this time? And I just heard you're a timekeeper. And I'm like, mm. yeah, what is that? I still don't know. And then recently someone told me that I have an insect mind, which I still I also don't know what that means. Um, but then yesterday when I interviewed or the day before Andreas, who I want to introduce you to, he sent me a, a video of this woman that he he talked. She talks about timelines and her the show is um, flying, flying uh, insectoids and timeline something like that so it merges tomorrow i have a woman that's gonna come and she deals with the akashic records she told Mm -hmm. me i i have you know i know what's going on with you with time i don't know what it is we'll see tomorrow but i feel like i need like my own reset my own great reset needs to happen because i feel like i've allowed i have allowed all of these negative um i i cry for the planet i mm-hmm. understand and i say everyone has their karma and dharma like i have to just worry about putting my oxygen mask and i want to create heaven on on this earth and and you can it's kind of hard to just there's you know there's wispy woo woo people that just like they don't look at what's happening when i was in costa rica and it was first the rona was first hap- going on this cafe actually had a sign like forbidding people from talking about what was going on, which I'm not for. But my point is that there's these hippie people that, you know, just want to deny or not, not acknowledge. And so it's a fine line with, does that make sense? Like you you create, you create your reality, but you still have to acknowledge, I believe what's happening in the world rather than be like an ostrich and, details i'm all about details maybe it's because i'm a virgo rising i feel like the devil is in the details and that you know wanted to get a t-shirt details lives matter because no one's fucking paying attention to them so that was a lot but i i just feel like i i need a great reset because um i know i have a lot of light i think that that's why the globalists or these whoever these people are that are censoring I also have cancel PTSD. I mean, mm-hmm. I am, I've, 
and I know now it's normalized, but they've come after my bank account, Venmo. Now they've gone after my my employee, um, Airbnb, Instacart, Amazon. They took my books away. I meaning I'm I read. I'm I'm a I'm a bookworm, and it's taken a toll. It's taken a toll. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you said some interesting things there, and. For me, I'm, I'm very close to understanding who and what I am in the sense of my role here. I believe that on the soul level, on the spiritual level, that there is a level of existence beyond where we are at right now. That, that life doesn't end, it only transmutates in the various different forms of energy. Right. And that we come to this material dense plane to, to expand, to learn, to help, to grow, to allow others to grow, whatever it might be, is that there is some type of evolutionary aspect to the universe, to what God is, that is built into it all, right? And that we are all here right now for a very specific reason. And when you said that you, you cry for the world, for nature, right? Um, this is something that I've been struggling with the last like year and a half is that it it almost feels as if I'm carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders, going through and watching what's happening to the world, going through and and figuring like, cause we, we have a certain level of accuracy, excuse me. We have a certain level of accuracy, um, with our reporting, um, since November, 2020, I mean, we've been probably 90, 92% accurate in what was going to happen. <clears throat> That's not a good thing. And watching it happen and watching it unfold, um, is incredibly scary, especially when you got children and you got friends and family, especially when there's a lot of people left in the dark. Right. And, um, I feel you on that because it takes its toll on you mentally, physically, spiritually, And, you know, I know my role is not here to save people. It's not here to save the world or save the earth, but yet to save myself, right? That's the true salvation is the saving of yourself is coming to that realization that you have to exist beyond the conditions of the world, beyond the conditions of your environment. And when you step above that plane, when you exist beyond the conditions of your environment, you now control and dictate that environment. That environment now conforms to you instead of you conforming to it. <clears throat> Excuse me, I got something in my throat, but I, I got a great example of this, actually. I, I feel, before you continue, yeah. I feel that that's the initiation. That's where where I am right now. And I, I vacillate between those two because I know I'm a magical creature and I've manifested lots of things, but I'm, I'm getting, you know, I'm again, I'm taking responsibility that I'm allowing the I'm the the density to pull me down rather than floating above it all. And like you say, dictate the world. That, and I also just want to add that I, I do feel if I did have children or a man like in my life that that I would be happy, meaning like that would enrich me. But, you know, my family's in Canada and uh, I've lost a lot of friends and family proverbially. Um, so that, you know, that's a separate issue. I'm also very picky and, and, you know, I, I don't drink, I'm not going to go to a bar. I'm just very, I'm a worker bee and work yeah. bees, like they work to make you 
themselves. And maybe that's my, maybe that's my role. Anyway, go on. Well, so the idea comes about this. I, I saw this on TikTok, and it really sums up kind of what I was thinking is that um, this mother's teaching her son a lesson one day, and she's got three different pots of boiling water. In the first pot, she puts an egg. In the second pot, she puts a potato. And in the third pot, she puts coffee beans. I thought you were going to say a frog. Okay. okay. <laughs> and everything in the pot, though, the potato begins to boil, the egg begins to boil, and the coffee beans begin to boil. She goes, look at the egg, and... It's, it was soft and fragile before, but now the water has made it hardened. She goes, go look at the potato. Before it was hard, and the water has made it soft and vulnerable. She goes, but look at the coffee beans. The coffee <laughs> beans change the water. She mm. goes, in each one of these scenarios, the potato and the egg, the water changed them. They allowed their environment, the conditions of their environment, to change who they were. Whereas the coffee beans stood up against the environment and changed the environment to who it was. And it remarks this Gandhi quote of be the change, right? Yeah. Is this is a prime example of understanding that, that we have to rise above the constraints of our environment, and allow ourselves to change that environment and mold it. And this is how we truly create a better reality, a better world, a peaceful world. You know, people are telling me to tell you about the Jello, And this is something that we've gone through for the last few years. And uh, I was talking, my brother Jake used to co-host with me. Um, he started his own business, doesn't have the time anymore. But uh, one day he's like, man, it's like, I, I don't get it. It's just like, man, it's like I'm walking through jello every day. It's like the energy mm. around us is as if I'm like a walk swimming through the jello. And I'm like, dude, I know exactly that feeling, right? right? And so we put it out on this show and everybody's like, oh my God, like I have the same thing. It's like, it's like we're walking through jello. It's like the energy is so dense in the world right now. Right, right. And well, that, yeah. you, that's when I was talking about interferences, whether it's the, I call it Cinco Geo, mm -hmm. because uh, I had to train myself to call it Cinco Geo. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. But if, if it's the frequencies or the programming, like, you know, Tavistock, once you read about Tavistock, it's like you can't go back. But there, I feel there's all these interferences on, uh, it's almost like, Sometimes I think, are we in a, are we in a snow globe where it is a, the construct and some of us, because we, we, we believe in God or we're spiritual beings can feel it through whatever cap it is. And they're trying to talk to us. And, you know, th this is like, I believe in alchemy, magic. I believe in all these things and miracles. I mean, I'm, a, I'm a miracle because when I was born, my heart stopped twice my the cord was wrapped around my neck and I joke that I tried to end it all before it even began. <laughs> but um, in it in itself, uh, I'm like a cat. I think I'm on my sixth or seventh life. And so and I also go to bed every night. Just I wake up saying, please, God, let me be of service. And I go to sleep. Just thank God that I've gone through another day. In other words, not take anything for granted, having almost uh, died and lost my use of my legs. So despite gratitude and, and just being aware of things, uh, yeah, it's, I guess maybe this is my lesson now to be able to walk through it's plasma, the jello that there's, 
I've just recently discovered that there's something called pla plasma, whether it's the ethers, but maybe that is there is some interference literally going yep. on. Well, I, I, I agree with that statement is that when the consensus of the energetic bodies, right? We have the six foot rule when it comes to our heart and the vibrational frequency. When the yeah. consensus of that is low vibrational within the world, especially during COVID, everybody had to stay six feet away. Everybody had to wear masks, right? And so you get this low density vibration that begins to occur. So you existing at a high vibrational state, trying to walk through this, you begin to feel it. You begin to feel Feel the reflection of that low vibrational state. You go, this is, this sucks. This is, right. this is like jello and it's so depressing. Yep. 100% agree. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe again, that maybe is part of the self mastery. I, I do think, you know, when, when I read uh, the great reset in June, 2020, when it first came out, and I came upon the paragraph where Klausi says, from here on out, it will no longer be before Christ and after Christ. It will be before Corona and after Corona. Whoa. And still, every time I say that, I fucking seethe with rage um, at at that statement. Just if if your audience could just just think of that before, no more before Christ and after Christ. And so, yeah, I, I sit with that. I, I used to last year wish that I could wake up and just like have a break, like a timeout from from this onslaught of microaggressions and and uh, manufactured Hegelian. This is a all Hegelian everything. I mean, what's happening in Mississippi? All, all this manufactured climate shit. So that's what makes me think like, oh, is this a construct? Are these people even human? Hmm. Uh, I get phrases and one of them long time ago. Well, one in like as early as 2009, I was hearing the phrase, there is an abyss that's being created between the people who see and the people who don't. Mm. And I didn't know this was way before fake news. The, the, now we are living in different realities. Now this line makes sense. And then another line. A phrase I was hearing was, do these people bleed red? Meaning, are they human? And so if I was told that there is a parasitic alien force that is preying on the louche and the fear. And, and, and again, it's also arrogant. If you are someone that eats meat, which I do, um, am I evil? Hmm. I I pray I I'm I'm grateful for the food but I consume creatures as my friend says. So if there is a a thing out there that's eating us proverbially our blood whatever are they inherently evil or are we their lunch? You know just just to position it that way to get past the good evil paradigm and just consider like we are their farm animals clearly i i feel i don't know why they wouldn't choose a an organic option uh, but you know i think it'd be tastier but anyway i'm teasing but just to <laughs> to to just ponder on that possibility i i do remember a friend who was a mentor for a short time and i've interviewed him bernard gunther um, who who did a film on aliens and 
presented that that possibility of of where they're feeding on us yeah. again if it's our fear they clearly love the fear the low low density vibrations um it's a good possibility now the reason i say that and i and i try to stay away from this on my daily show um because okay. it's it's a little too fringy for some people but the more and more we look at the situation we have yeah. to come to the conclusion that these people have a lack of humanity. Um, if you listen to Noah uh, Harari, right? Uh, Hoval Noah oh. Harari from oh, the yeah. World Economic Forum. Um, oh, yeah. he, he talks about us plainly in the third person as animals, that human beings are animals. But he's not putting himself in that context. Hmm. And if you notice the way that they express this stuff and they bring it to the to the concern when they talk about humanity, they talk about humanity as separate from them. Now we can call this elitist complex, right? But at the end of the day, what is the world actually being turned into? And, and I came to this realization the other day when I started kind of organizing this is that the world is being led into a digital prison, right? A digital prison. Right. It's being led into a zoo into a zoo where the animals have this, this primary illusion of freedom. They can walk outside their gates, but at the end of the night, they're still locked in their cages. That they're, yeah. they're fed only what the zookeepers want to feed them. Within that meat or the vegetables or whatever they're fed, the zookeepers can put their medicine to make them sedated, to make them more calm. They can only interact with people through various different barriers set up by the zookeepers. They're completely observed day in and day out. Right. Especially it, with under the skin surveillance. Yeah. And so we are being, we are being moved into a digital zoo this prison is becoming th this planet is becoming a prison planet it's oh, as if humanity has done something wrong and we have been convicted of crimes that we have no idea what they were and we're being imprisoned by some type of intelligence that is greater than ours because they are duping us into it right i want to also add to that and i see some comments about the parasites uh, several years ago, I think it's the best piece that I've written for it ended up, I wrote it, it took a year to write, and then it took a year to try to find a home for it because it's out there. But it was titled How I Lost My Partner to a Parasite. Huh. And I, I looked at the FX series Legion, where he lives with the devil with yellow eyes. And then I also looked at nature and all the parasites. Recently in July, American Scientific, Scientific American, I always get dyslexia. They they devoted the entire issue to parasites. And there's a movement of conservation for parasites. I promise you, parasites don't need help. Hmm. There, there's tons of, of them and we've been living with them and it's not just when you go travel to another country so if you look at toxoplasmosis which is the most infamous yep. parasite right crazy cat lady and maybe you know this the fact that the parasite will go into a rodent rat or mouse and make the rodent sexually attracted to a cat to a completely hmm. different species and then it jumps 
into the cat and then it jumps into the human. It does not want to overtake the human. So I watched my my ex go through these stages to the point because he's very intelligent. He was aware. He went to Haiti and covered a voodoo ritual. Mm -hmm. And he was literally standing um, in feces and blood and God knows what energetic parasites. But he initially wanted to kill the parasite. Then as he would get sick, like clockwork, full moon, when they have their sex parties in your body and then they shit and then there's toxins there as well. And then we discovered I sell chelated 4,000 ppm silver. So he he was able to form, he named the parasite. So he gave parasite, it was named Edgar. And so he was conscious. And anyways, I saw this development and it made me do a deep dive and look at nature. So parasites exist. Now there's a conservation to preserve parasites. They want to give us chitin or chitin. Um, crickets and insects, which just are harboring all sorts of parasites. And the nanobots are also made with polysaccharides from the chitin. So I'm just, I'm observing a theme here Mm -hmm. of, of parasites. And I wonder, again, if I was told today, we've been overtaken by a parasitic, you want to call it alien... Yeah. Nailed it. So I've talked about it on this show before. It's not something I talk about much. (laughs) I wonder why. (laughs) But I've said that what if we co-evolved with a parasite? What if there was a parasite on this planet a long, long time ago? And this this might freak a little people, some people out. Okay. But hear me out here. Have you ever gotten into the the, like Tataria? And there, there is an Andreas ancient... is all that I'm going to introduce. Okay. He's all about Tatari. And there's a star fort where I live and my Oh, there you go, star forts. Star fort maniac, yeah. Okay. So for people that don't know the, tar- the story of Tartaria, Tartaria is supposedly the civilization that existed on this planet only a few hundred years ago. And that the turn of the 20th century, the World's Fair, these were all Tartaria. Uh, tot- Tartarian cities that were destroyed afterwards. They used the guise of World War I and World War II to destroy all the old buildings and infrastructure throughout Europe and in the United States during the, the Gold Rust, the Western Progression, to destroy all of old Tartaria. Now, there's a lot of relevance and truth to this aspect of Tartaria. We know if we start looking at the population of the planet, certain things don't make sense, especially at the turn of the 19th century, or sorry, the 20th century, that we had a population of 1 billion on the planet. And then for 50 years after that, World War I, World War II, the rise of communism, the Spanish flu, we lost over 500 million people, which means that half the population decreased in that 50 years, which means that every person from the year 1900, the current date would have to have eight children. And those eight children would have to have eight children. And those eight children would have to have eight children and have 8 billion people today. And we know that's a statistical improbability. Then you got different aspects of like the catacombs under France. The catacombs under France are 30 square miles long. Only three square miles have been excavated within those three square miles. There's approximately 6 million human beings buried under there over the 10 year period during the black plague. The bones extend all throughout the 30 square miles. So if we do the 10x multiple on the 6 million people, that's 60 million people buried under there in a 10 year period 
during the Black Plague. Now, that's billions of bones that those 10 priests would have had to use and manipulated and turned into all that art. Now, the interesting thing is, is the population of France during that time, the whole country of France was about 312,000. The whole population of Europe during that time was 3.1 million. So how do you have 6 million people buried underneath Paris, when the population of the whole entire continent, Europe during that time, was 3.1 million. The math doesn't start to add up. So this is kind of like the Tatarian theory. Now, if you remember, during the World's Fair, they had children incubators, baby incubators, and they were putting babies on displays. Orphans, that's right, the orphans. All the books were written about the orphanages and the orphanages we heard about in Canada and in, in the United States. All these babies were being raised in orphanages. What happened to all the parents is what the people were asking, right? And something doesn't make sense here. It's like as if we rediscovered the technology to begin having babies again. In the the 20th century, in the early 20th century, is you had to go to a doctor and get your blood type actually tested before you could have a baby because the firstborn in certain bloodlines would actually be born stillbirth because of the incompatibility between bloods. It's interesting that throughout history, no one ever wrote about this, and it only comes about through the modern discovery of medicine. Okay, here's the, here's the, here's the key. Okay. It's my theory that Tartaria was a highly advanced technological society. It was our society less than 200 years ago. Wow. And what happened is that there was a parasitic infection, that this parasite is incredibly intelligent and consciously evolved. And the parasite infects the human being and suppresses the consciousness and utilizes the human being as a host to progress its own development and evolution. Now, in Tartaria, all human beings had RH negative blood. I'm an O negative. What are you? I'm O negative. There we go again. Here we go. Yep. Yep. And so... Everybody in Tartaria had O negative blood. Well, they realized what was happening and how all the people were dying because of this parasite, because the parasite became evil, started wars, all this stuff. And so these people start dying because of this parasite. So they go and genetically modify themselves and add a rhesus monkey gene to their genome, creating the RH positive blood, which also decreases their lifespan, cuts them off from genetic lineage, genetic memory, takes away certain abilities and progression. This is the fall from Eve, from from the Garden of Eden, right? That the genetic modification that we did to ourselves to save ourselves basically delineated our society downwards because our our lives were cut in half or one-tenth or whatever it might have been. We lose our genetic memory, our memory from past lives and, and from the ages of which we used to exist from. And so here's the thing is this war wages on. Now, a few of these people, these parasites, hid and they survived. So as civilization began to come back up, these parasites that are suppressing the consciousness of these individuals come back in. And they come in as the rulers and the kings and they're called blue bloods. And they start to have the divine rule over people. Let me pause for a second. So the blue bloods, when... When we, my company started selling silver and my partner wrote about the blue bloods and the fact that they, the aristocrats did imbibe silver, they just see a connection because I, he was with parasites 
and I saw it evolve and he was defending it and, and said, don't try to kill Edgar. Cause I was like ayahuasca and like cleanses, blah, blah. But the silver somehow I'm just, you said aristocrats and blue blooded. And yeah. I, I noticed that he was able to be okay when he took silver and the parasites would kind of like, they gave you, they gave, people animals insects superpowers and i think they can do the same for humans that you become a mutant sorry go on so well, the blue blood and the parasite has genetic lineage genetic memory and it has the ability to heal the body now think about what it we talk about with secret societies and various members of these these families right are indoctrinated into the ancient mysteries it's almost like they have this memory of the past and so if you ever watched the, the TV show Stargate SG-1 and you have – so basically the premise behind it – and so there's a movie about it, right, where they okay. travel to this planet Abydos through a Stargate and there's this evil gray alien that has enslaved a group of humans that are living much like ancient Egypt on the planet. Well, they re-spin it as a TV show, but they go and secure funding through the Sci-Fi Channel. And the Sci-Fi Channel reaches out to the United States Air Force because they had a lot to do with the, the context of the show. The United States yeah. Air Force comes in as a consulting liaison for the show, and they ask to make a few changes. Instead of the gray alien, what they wanted was a snake, a snake that actually goes in through the mouth or through the back of the neck enters the brainstem, latches onto the brain as a parasite, suppresses the consciousness and takes over the body of the host. And they're highly evolved. They have genetic memory, all the same stuff that we're talking about here. And they basically what dominate. Happens? Yeah, they basically dominate the whole solar system. And so when we start to think about the fall of Atlantis, the fall of Atlantis was the fall of Tartaria. And what happened is this parasite took over and began basically producing evil and trying to enslave mankind. The doctors, they genetically alter all of us, even themselves, which makes them forget instantaneously all this knowledge and information, the Akashic Records, the attachment to the Akashic Records, right? And humanity basically starts back up. These blue bloods come in. These are just a small group of these parasites that actually live. But here's the thing is they can only live within this RH negative blood type. So basically we starve them out. So they would have to live within their genetic bloodline, which basically means that they'd have to marry within their families and produce incest to keep that parasite alive throughout time, to keep that RH negative factor within their bloodline. Do their predecessors know that that's happening or they just carry on the traditions? Maybe or maybe not. Maybe not, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But then as they rise in power, because they have genetic memory, they can remember 200, 300, 400 years ago because it's the same parasite that is being traded. So when David Rockefeller dies at 98 years old, that parasite now goes to the next chosen person. That parasite carries with it the genetic memory. So are they... That totally, I mean, it sounds cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but yeah. it resonates with me because I know that parasites can modify behavior and take over their host. Yep. And in my article, I outline literal incidences in insects where, for instance, a parasite will make one spider weave a stronger web, giving it superpowers. You can watch the FX series Legion, which plays on that. So anyway, it is it is possible. Again, I really don't think that we need a conservation effort for parasites. It seems very strange. It does. So what, how does the parasitic, which is kind of alien, 
I mean, you can look at insectoids. And again, this is like a microscopic puppeteer, microscopic that can modify a human's behavior. Yeah. Just think about the size. I, I know you know, but for, for your audience, so where does the AI um, tech component Oh, you're uh, ready for it occur. now. Now yeah, you're ready for it. So is if let's say that this group of parasites has moved through these elitist families for various generations, okay? And they come to a point of technological redevelopment where they're able to expand that parasite now to other people. How would they do it? Well, they'd have to develop a technology to basically undo the genetic modification that was actually done. But in order to do that genetic modification, they would have to put some type of technology into the arms of every human being to begin the genetic modification change to allow that person to take on that parasite once more. Wow. And there we have it, folks. <laughs> there it I is. Tap you, I tap you. Kudos to you, Joshua. Um, oh, there you have it, folks. Everyone could go home now. <laughs> Well, I, I hope I'm wrong on that. I really do oh, it's hope a I'm wrong. It's a definite theory. Um, they just came out looking at 2,000 samples of the Crenshaw. Yeah. And uh, interestingly, they were all missing the mRNA, but it was littered with nanotech. And the truth is, there's a in my presentation on transhumanism, I show a now very much scrubbed study out of Italy, where in 2017, they looked at the major Crenshaws in the world, and they found that 44 of them and 14 variants all had were heavily contaminated um, with with the nanotech. I find it interesting also that these parasites eat heavy metals. Mm. They love heavy metals. Oh, look, it's all over the place, th these remnants well, of, of maybe metals. The, maybe the parasite from Tartaria was not a biological parasite, but instead a nanotechnology, an I mean, artificial intelligence. Possible? I mean, it, it, is it – if you read, which – I haven't read in completion The uh, Path to Singularity by Kurzweil. It's a big-ass book. I got it book. upstairs. You have it? I have it upstairs. I, I, But I did read through all the references to nanotech because the mRNA is the way in which they replace the human nucleus mm. with nanotech. That's literally, they say that, that that is, that is the manner in which they get in there. And that's what they're doing because they're putting in a lipid nanoparticle, which can have a payload. And I think yep. all sorts of experiments are happening, but it's definitely to meld us with machine and these beings, these whatever global elitists believe that that is the future, you know, to be God, to have surveillance under the skin. Again, I find it very interesting that they want us to eat bugs full of parasites I mean, did you see the Nicole Kidman? I wonder how much they paid her to have a four-course meal of bugs. Oh, no, eat. I didn't. Did oh, that's it? horrible. No. So we are out of time. This is a fantastic yes. conversation. But we're going to fringe after dark in 30 minutes. That is oh, on the socialredpill.com. For anybody who wants to join in, it's a conversation after conversation, fringe after dark. It is broadcast 
on YouTube, but you have to be a member of socialredpill.com in order to get on that, as well as our premium members can join in on the Zoom. Miriam, you want to join us on that? It's in 30 minutes. It's up to you. You don't have to, but you can what, join is, us on it. Is it just you? It's there me, there's people? gonna be other people jo- just you, but there's gonna be people. other people joining in the Zoom and it's broadcast okay. on YouTube as well. So you're more than welcome. It's in 30 yeah. minutes from now, same Zoom, so you can just stay right here. Uh, sure. we're gonna end this show, and then if people want to jump in, they can ask you questions, they can have dialogue with you. It's a pretty That'd kind of intimate experience. Okay, I, I, fantastic. I do want to do I have time to plug my oh project? yeah, absolutely. Let let everybody know. Where to find you, how to support you. And I'm telling you guys, you need to go out there and support Miriam because her work is, is absolutely phenomenal. I've been following it for like the last six months and she's an amazing human being. Go ahead. Let's get it out Thank there. Thank you. Thank you. So you can check out my work on Vaxter. I, I just, they just uh, published a two-part series on CERN and, and Timelines. And uh, please support my George Floyd project. I believe that Josh will put the link just to keep in mind I've made an award-winning film that's been seen around the world Mm -hmm. and I cannot or I can with your help bring the truth on the George Floyd multi-layered psyop I'm writing a book which will be published by Logo Sophia whenever I finish it and I'm working with uh, maybe you know him Josh the awesome Sean Hibbler he's um, done some um, well, lack of a flat earth, but he's an amazing, amazing editor. He also did a documentary on George Floyd in 2020. And uh, this is a different type of film. It's called The Real Timeline. You can go to the Give, Send, Go and watch my kick-ass trailer. And every little bit counts. Um, I like to say that in her six-week lifespan, a honeybee will only produce a quarter of a teaspoon of honey. So your contribution matters. Absolutely. Please support real journalism, not prostitutes and parrots. So, yeah, and guys, you can go to givesendgo.com slash M-A-R-Y-A-M. Is that, is that it? No, is that, is that oh, your, no, I put no. it in the chat. Yeah, I had it in there. I just, hold on a second. Yep, so it's, uh, okay, givesendgo.com slash M-A-R-Y-A-M-H-E-N-E-I-N. It's her full name, Marion Heinen. I can't pronounce your name. I'm sorry. Name. Like I, I just put it in your chat on. Perfect. Perfect. And so guys go out there. It's also going to be posted on the social red pill and we'll get it out to anybody who wants to help support her. So please do. Uh, if you guys want to go for the second part of this, where we're going to continue this conversation, just join the social If you are on the social uh, you guys should have got, if you're a fringe after dark subscriber or a master patron or above, you'll see that email coming with all the links for the zoom and for the YouTube for everybody else. The YouTube link will be shared here in just a few minutes. Watch out for that. Much love, respect. Thank you so much, Miriam, for joining Thank us tonight. You. She's going to be a regular guys. Don't worry. Uh, we'll <laughs> see all of you guys here in a little bit. And most of you guys, we'll see you guys later. Take care. Have a great night.